it doesn't matter what industry you are in, you can create systems to be a disruptor within that industry. Today, we're talking to an amazing doctor who took his practice and is disrupting the insurance agency and government practices when it comes to healthcare. So you're going to want to stay tuned and see how the examples that he has set within medicine can apply in our everyday lives and business. Hi, my name is Evan Herman, and I'm documenting my journey on becoming the best version of myself while learning how to be an entrepreneur and developing the successful habits that are necessary to get and keep me there. If you want to come alongside of me and make this journey together, we'll be listening and learning from some of the world's greatest mentors in the areas that matter most, faith, family, finances, friendship, fitness, and fun. So join me on the Whole Person Podcast. If you haven't had an opportunity yet, you can definitely check us out on the wholepersonpodcast.com. You can find resources to grow yourself in every area of life. As we're growing, we're going to be putting our free resources up there. That's the wholepersonpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook at the Whole Person Podcast. And then in other areas, you can just follow me, Evan Herman, on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram for more information. Enjoy the show. I am your host, Evan Herman, and today we have a guest who's a doctor from Wicca, Wicca, Wichita, Kansas. You actually have to be from around the area to know why I said it that way. Dr. Josh Umber. Josh, how are you? I'm excellent. Thank you. Yeah, Josh, so you started a practice by the name of Atlas MD, correct? Yes, sir. Cool. Tell us for those of us out there that don't know what Atlas MD is, what is it? Atlas MD is uh, our vision for what medicine should be. Uh, going through med school and residency and learning how broken the insurance system is, we said there just had to be a better way. Uh, we don't have car insurance for gasoline or oil changes, windshield wiper fluid. Why are we using health insurance for family medicine? And, and we believed that there was a way that we could make the majority of care that we do much cheaper. And so Atlas MD is a uh, concierge medicine clinic, which is more the old terminology. The new buzzword is direct primary care. But basically, we charge a flat rate per month based on age uh, for unlimited services that, that we can provide. So unlimited home visits, work visits, office visits, uh, telemedicine visits. We have no co-pays for anything in the office. Any procedure we can do here is free. So something like EKG is free or stitches. And then we try to do a lot more things to add value to show that we can save patients more money than they spend on the membership. But um, just kind of common sense medical care with... Uh, without the uh, the hassle and frustration of insurance. Right. Dude, so for those of the listeners out there, you might have heard this in a previous podcast, and Josh, I think I talked to you a little bit about it over the phone. I freaking dislocated my knee and tore my MPFL, which is the tendon that holds the kneecap to the femur. And 
So just so you know, I actually get to have surgery next week, Wednesday. I'm, yeah, I'm really excited because I'm like, hey, I'm going to start getting better now. Yeah. It's my, it's my fourth overall knee dislocation, but my third one on that knee. Ouch. Yeah. It, it's really funny because it started the knee dislocation because I did the Napoleon Dynamite dance when I was 16 and I dislocated it doing that. And I kid you not on, um, let's see what month that we're in May. So in April, April 8th, I dislocated my knee again, but here's what's funny. Okay. And it, and it just revolves around Napoleon freaking dynamite here. They're coming to Tulsa November 14th. Really? And I'm like, yeah, the, the three main stars and they're going to be airing the, the, um, the movie again. And I was like, I got to buy tickets. <laughs> I bought tickets. I bought the meet and greet. And later that day, what do I do? Freaking dislocate my knee again. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, I, the bane of my, my existence is Napoleon dynamite dance. I tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the reason why I bring that up is because over the past five weeks, I have been fighting with insurance and doctors, the, the doctor's office, the anesthesiology, and the place I'm getting the surgery done because they all want half up front. And it makes no sense when my insurance will cover 80%. Right. Insurance is so difficult to deal with that my doctors want me to pay half up front. Because they don't know if they'll get the 80% later. You know, you're right. It's become a, a cold war of sorts where the insurance creates more problems, more, more paperwork uh, for confirmation and, and checking and monitoring. So then the doctor's overhead goes up. So they charge more. So insurance has to create more roadblocks to, and, and round and round it goes. Whereas every other industry is innovating to bring simplicity and uh, innovation and value to the, the their system. You know, Tesla cars keep getting better. Airbnb adds experiences onto just uh, booking rooms. Everyone is looking to make their product better, faster, cheaper. And in healthcare, it only gets more complicated and more expensive. So we wanted to come in and find a way to apply the business processes that everyone else is using back to healthcare so that we could make it you know, affordable, convenient, accessible again. Right. So two questions real quick. One, why is the process of insurance and medical treatment not going this way in general? I mean, now it's starting to because you're, you're a great pioneering voice, but why hasn't our lawmakers and our legislators and other doctors and insurance companies pulled their heads out of their rear ends and started fixing the issue. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Innovation happens slow like that. Healthcare really adopts innovation at uh, the, the technical side, new medicines, new blood tests, new MRIs. But at the delivery of care, the business model of care, the bedside, we're very hesitant. And I think one, that's government regulation and then insurance. But then also uh, doctors like myself in med school were taught actively against business, that you can't be a caring clinician and a good business person, that those two are in incompatible. To which I would say, I don't know how you separate the two. You know, you are, you are feeding my family in exchange. I'm trying to keep your family healthy. It's, it's a very personal relationship uh, that, that blends appropriately. But it took doctors a long time to see that. 
I believe the statistic is it took Starbucks uh, 17 or 18 years to get their first 17 stores. We've been at this just about nine years and helped over six, 700 doctors convert to a model like this. So when you look at that, that long curve, long early tail of innovation, yeah, it, it, it seems to take a while. But I, once we hit a certain point, the Pandora's box of affordable care is going to be open to where uh, more and more outpatient doctors, family medicine, pediatrics, geriatrics uh, are adopting this. So our growth is faster you know, every quarter now, and, and the adoption, the acceptance is increasing. We've had two doctors testify before uh, the Senate Health Committee. We've passed laws in 25 states to uh, protect this kind of practice. We were just mentioned on Hannity last night, and, and we're just seeing this, this ever-increasing attention paid to this model. So in some ways, it's growing slow, but in some ways, it's really picking up the necessary momentum. Now, were you one of the doctors in front of the, the House Judiciary Committee? Uh, no, we did it before the uh, health Senate. Committee. Yes, health, okay. health, health committee. Yeah, health My bad. But you were one of them, if I remember correctly. Yes, uh, February okay. 7th. February February. Yeah, I remember coming across that video earlier on. Um, man, let me ask you this. Have, have you ever seen the movies Atlas Shrugged? Um, I've seen the first one, liked it. I uh, saw the second one, didn't uh, like it as much, uh, and I haven't seen the third one. Right. Yeah, the, the issue with that those movies is that they kept changing the main actors sure. for the yeah. characters, and it just tanked it. Such a great potential movie right. that it tanked. But the and reason I'm, why I'm yeah. asking is because yeah. of the book and your name being Atlas MD. Right. I first heard about the book in med school. I think it was third year of med school, and I read that. It was the uh, more Fortune 500 CEOs ranked it as the most influential book in their lives. And I said, boy, that's that's a book I have to read. And um, so I've read it now eight or nine times and listened to it on Audible eight or nine times. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it gave me the uh, moral justification of capitalism. And, and I think that was very important at a time where the professors were saying business is bad. And if you like business, by default, you're bad. And I never accepted that original sin of, well, I want to do good things for my patients. Surely I can find a, a way to do that in a profitable way. Is is Good profit is, is a win-win for everybody. And I think being able to open my eyes to something like that and, and really primed us well for accepting that, yes, we could go out and find meds much cheaper labs, much cheaper. If we didn't take insurance, we could offer so much more for so much less. And uh, having that fresh perspective has, has allowed us to move much faster. So I was right. You did name it kind of after the book. Oh, it's a hundred percent after the book. Yeah. Score. Okay. That makes me really happy that I was that intuitive. Number one, but we, you said, you said meds. So do you also get prescription medication for clients much cheaper than they would through like CVS or you know, Walgreens or whatever? Absolutely. You, this is much more like Costco, where uh, the CEO of Costco said every good idea they've ever had, they've stolen, right? <laughs> right. Plagiarism in business. It's, it's aggressive. It's value. It's, it's consumer obsessed, like Bezos would say. So uh, Costco makes the majority of their profit off of membership. And now they can say, look, we mark everything up 14%. And if there's a run on Tickle Me Elmo dolls, 
because uh, it's Christmas time. Great, get them at Costco because we're not going to play with the prices. Uh, it's trust, it's value, it's predictable. And what we wanted was that same thing in healthcare. Um, what we're able to do is buy the medicines wholesale from the same places the pharmacies do. But since we have our revenue coming in from the uh, membership, we don't have to do a, a significant upcharge. We just cover our costs. So something that Walmart or uh, Walgreens will sell uh, migraine medicine, $200 cash price we get for $5. It's wow. ridiculous. We can buy a thousand blood pressure pills for $4 and 95 cents. So even when Walmart sells them to you for $4 uh, on their $4 list for 30 pills, it's really costing them 15 cents or it's costing me 15 cents. I imagine it costs them much less, but they can buy it for less. Ultimately we can sell it for less. And, and that was part of the innovation and value creation that we could bring to our customers and say, look, you were paying X amount for all these other things under our umbrella of a flat monthly gym membership. You, you save more than you spend. So we can do the same thing for blood tests. So, um, $1.50 to check your uh, iron levels, uh, $1.70 to see if, uh, check your thyroid, $2.25 to check your uh, A1C for diabetes, uh, $3 to check your cholesterol. So now for less than you know, $15, $20, we can do your yearly blood work that would easily cost two, three, four hundred $400 somewhere else. Wow. So you know, now we're just stacking on all these additional value adds that really justify the membership. Hmm. You know, I'm pro-capitalism, and many of our, our listeners are. You, you said something earlier. You want your relationship with your clients, your customers, to be a win-win. When you told me the price gap between what Walmart actually pays and what the customer pays, that almost feels like robbery. It, it, you know, I think it's very interesting that, that the companies built on on a perception of trust intentionally have played this system in a way that's a lot less trustworthy than consumers are led to believe. Uh, I think it's, it's several fold in the sense that they suffer from the same problem that clinics did, which is high insurance costs, high overhead, the high headache factor. But at the same time, this is how they make the majority of their profit. They have shareholders that they want to show, you know, quarter over quarter returns on. What I find so interesting is that at the pharmacy counter in a store like CVS or Walgreens, the market breaks down completely. There's no price transparency. They can't tell you a cash price. They have to run it through your insurance. There's these thousand percent markups on medicines. Ten feet from that, there's a thousand grocery store items with complete price transparency. Because they know that, yes, they can be a little bit more expensive on some things. They have to be a little bit more competitive. But the consumer knows the price of milk. And the consumer will only pay so much for milk and convenience to get it at Walgreens versus the grocery store. And so if they're overpriced relative to the next grocery store, they're going to lose consumers. So at the same time, they play in both a broken and uh, uh, ideal market system, and, but somehow refuse to accept that the pharmacy side could be a more efficient system. Wow. With my personal things going on right now with my leg, that makes so, so much sense. It has been incredibly difficult to get pricing for my own surgery. Like Nobody can tell me what, what everything will cost. 
Now, are you familiar with the Surgery Center of Oklahoma? I am not, but I'm already scheduled to have surgery Wednesday. Okay. Well, um, Surgery Center of Oklahoma is like us, but for surgeries. Not a membership-based, but a market-based model. They don't take insurance. You can go to their price and find, or their website, and find the complete cost for any procedure that they do. Uh, They're typically 75% less than um, local surgeries because they've got 75% less overhead. Uh, They got started, uh, Dr. Keith Smith, uh, uh, the founding physician, uh, patients coming down from Canada to pay cash for surgeries. And what that has evolved into is now even insurance companies will prepay for patients to go down there because it's so much cheaper. And and that just speaks to the amazing benefit of competition, innovation, streamlining processes. Is it, a better product at a better price will ultimately win. And even a single clinic like that can curve the behavior of giant insurance companies because at the end of the day, they just need the most profitable, best price surgery they can get. And um, and they'll do that. So that saves patients, that saves companies, that saves business, uh, insurances. So wait, let me get this straight. You're saying our neighbors in the northern border who have free health care are coming down here to pay for surgery? You know, they have uh, free health care if they can get it. That's the interesting thing. Um, I believe it was 2005, there was a lawsuit in um, uh, the Alberta uh, province that ultimately came down because a patient had to wait two years for a hip surgery, ended up getting addicted to pain medicine, all these complications, et cetera. And so they sued, and the um, the justice writing the decision, because uh, there was a ban on private healthcare. They said access to a wait list was not the same as access to care, and that delays like that violated uh, the Canadian Human Rights Treaty. So uh, they took that very seriously. As yes, we think you know in Canada that they're they're paying for healthcare, they're just not paying for it quickly. And uh, a little unknown fact is most prescriptions aren't covered under the universal healthcare system. So if you get medicines in the hospital, they're free. Medicines outpatient, you know, your depression, your diabetes, your everything else uh, are not covered. So many Canadians have to have private prescription insurance, either that they buy themselves or they get through their employer. Now, if they're poor enough, those are covered, kind of like our Medicaid system. But there's a lot more gaps in that Canadian system than people are aware of. Hmm. Okay. What led you to break the mold and change the way medical care is given? Because this is, you are literally transforming an industry. Let me phrase this. You are disrupting an an industry. Well, I like to think I'll make Schumpter proud and creative destruction where, you know, we're going to take it one step further. um, Because I do think if we make primary care affordable, that changes almost all the other moving pieces in healthcare. I joke all the time, short sell Walgreens or CVS, because if direct care doesn't disrupt them, Amazon will. This idea that what it is, is, you know, simple, like Milton Friedman would say, an economic cartel right, is we've got 65% of the retail pharmaceutical markets held by three or four companies. It's not that they don't want to compete, it's that they don't have to compete. And as long as we keep buying insurance in a predictably irrational way, then they're going to keep existing. 
but it finally got to the point of ridiculousness that it wasn't working for patients, physicians, employers, and ultimately even the insurance companies are struggling under this giant you know, inefficient burden. So it, it, it creates its own gravity for innovation. Now when patients can get unlimited primary care for $10 a month for their kids, $50 a month for most adults, uh, meds and labs for a penny a pill, uh, or less, then you just need less insurance. So then we can decrease insurance premiums by 30 to 60%. So, you know, broadly speaking, we could, uh, the, the amount the country spends on primary care is low. The amount that the country spends on primary care plus medicines and labs and urgent care and ER and overpriced surgeries and overpriced insurance premiums is through the roof. And we can touch every every bit of that. And so, yeah, we, we hope to disrupt, disrupt as many moving pieces of this market as we can. But I got into it for, I think, very simple reasons. Growing up, my dad was a trash man and he's a, a lawyer now. So I still tell people he's a trash man, uh, much less embarrassing. Um, but uh, watching him uh, through the years, he ran a, 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 a very successful business that in hindsight was um, a membership model, right? You pay once a month, we pick up once a week. Uh, it, was, it was as simple and logical as we could make it. So in, in hindsight, it was a, a membership model, right? We pick, you pay once a month, we pick up once a week. And that worked out very well. And, and it was high customer service because it was small town and you know everybody. So you just learned all the essential pieces of running a, a good value-based business. And then I got into healthcare as a biller and coder working for a surgeon and saw the sausage getting made. And it really was sort of the emperor's new clothes. You know, the wise fool, uh, the kid who comes into this and says, well, this makes no sense. Why are we doing this? You're spending hours of work to get paid you know, for what you already did. And sometimes you're paid your asking price. Sometimes you're paid a fraction of that. Sometimes you're not paid at all. And you know, that it, it just seems so blatantly illogical. Uh, I was shocked other people couldn't see it. So I still love the idea of medicine. And I, I was always a fan of business watching my dad. Watching him, he was a guy who bucked the system. Uh, ultimately, he had a First Amendment case go to the Supreme Court and won. And uh, it's a groundbreaking First Amendment case for that area of law. It's why he went back and became an attorney. So uh, it was it was very much the normal in our house. What to, is it? Uh, Umber versus Buncey County Commissioners, and it, 1996 decision. Yeah. What was it? Was it? What was it about? It was the idea that independent contractors do they have. First Amendment rights uh, when they work for the government. But he was writing articles critical of the local government because they were doing bad things, but then he had a contract to work for them. So federal or state employees don't have the same First Amendment rights. That's been decided, and, and the employer, i.e. the government, has a vested interest in controlling some of what they say. But an independent contractor was you know, part citizen, part employee, and half of the uh, district court said, no, they, they don't have First Amendment rights, and half said they did. So it was a perfect case for the Supreme Court to take. And uh, in a 7-2 decision, uh, which is pretty rare, majority said definitely he can say what he wants to say. Uh, so it was uh, a fascinating case. But again, teaching you know, that we can buck the system, we can change it, we don't have to accept, accept the status quo. And, and that 
mentality growing up, I think, really led into how we saw innovation for healthcare of just being able to see a problem, find a solution, and put all your energy behind that. Your last comments, I can go into two different questions here perfectly, but the one I want to go to next, what challenges did you face squaring off and essentially going toe-to-toe against the government and the insurance industry? In, in that case, not a lot. They ignored us completely. <laughs> so that was, that was easy. Um, they didn't see us as something worth fighting. And, and I didn't necessarily want them to. I think we often get pegged as uh, anti-government or anti-insurance. And in reality, for this, we're pro-efficiency. That's the goal, is the insurance companies aren't per se bad. Uh, I think they've probably done things that aren't they aren't proud of. But I ultimately blame doctors long before I blame insurance companies. We're the gatekeepers of care. We're on the front lines. We're the ones who have all the authority. The insurance company has never bought wholesale meds because they don't have a license to practice medicine or to practice pharmacy. So they had no idea that the meds could be so much cheaper. You sort of expect them to, but how's my accounting firm know how to run a medical office? They don't. They're tax experts. And insurance is a risk adjustment expert. They're a payment system. They're not, we can't ask them to reinvent the delivery of healthcare. But doctors got lazy and did that and say, well, if I, if I can't be a good professional physician and manage a business, then I, I'll leave that alone. And then I'll just scream that it's the uh, big pharma or big insurance or government. Someone else should fix this. And I think the survivor bias of that is we would say, well, boy, it's sure great and easy to take care of people who have great insurance. So then the solution must just be great insurance for everybody. You know, and, and I think that's a little bit. I wish that were the case because it's not. And going back to my knee, our insurance covers 80-20. Not only that, but because I was lucky enough to get injured on a soccer field that I, I was a coach on, I was able to file an accident claim and okay. have a secondary policy. So my $3,000 deductible essentially drops to 500 because my secondary insurance will pay some portion, yeah. some portion of the other deductible. And so on the 20% remaining of my primary care insurance, the secondary insurance will cover 80% of the 20 remaining. So I have it actually extremely affordable. And even though I have phenomenal coverage right now, it well, hasn't been easy. Again, that's why I blame doctors, though, is doctors haven't made it easy you because the insurance company is just trying to pay the doctor. But the doctor has this inflated, over, and the higher the doctor price, the higher the, the hassle factor the insurance has to have on some level because they're trying to be good stewards of the money to some degree, and they can't just pay every giant bill. But you know, it's not the insurance's fault that an MRI of the knee could cost $3,000 with your insurance but $300 cash price, you know, that's proof of a broken system is we haven't uh, efficiently developed this market. So now they'll say, well, A, if insurance will pay 3,000, then I will charge 3,000. But also if insurance doesn't pay on several other MRIs, because we didn't have the paperwork, you know, T's dotted and I's crossed, then we have to make it up somewhere. So it's this whole big shell game. And I think, you know, yes, we can give them credit where credit's due for making it problematic, but 
the the issue, the underlying issue is that physicians expected someone else to fix it. Well, it's almost and, double dipping too, because at that point when the insurance doesn't cover it, then they'll bill the patient. Right. Because that's the price, you know, and, and that's the status quo. And they, I think they know so little about where their profit is coming from in a standard medical model that they just start billing everybody. And, uh, and I think people see that too, and they get their EOB, their explanation of benefits. It's hard to even know what that's saying. Do I owe money? Do I don't? What's a, you know, how does it go from a $10,000 thing to a thousand dollar thing? What are, you know, the, what's the joke about Kohl's department store coupons don't matter because the prices are made up. It's this entire shell game of, of ridiculousness. But if I go to Best Buy, I know exactly what the price is. I go to Amazon, I can see exactly what the price is on 10 different suppliers of the same product. And, and in healthcare, they won't even tell you what the price is for your surgery, let alone let you shop around or, or be a good consumer. And, you know, it, it's, it takes two to tango, but it takes one to fix it. So one group like us saying, no, we're going to cut ties with that. Airbnb didn't try to split the difference and co-mingle with hotels. They said, we're going to do something drastically new. Right. I think if you look at most unicorns from Silicon Valley, most innovation, I, I love the book, Never Split the Difference, for that reason. So we had to come out and be drastically different, if nothing else, to show insurance and government how to fix this. You know, One example for government is, uh, I, again, I don't think they're bad people. I think they're in a system that doesn't reward innovation, that the state of Kansas pays $400 a month for pediatric seizure medicine, that we can get the uh, same thing, it's a generic to generic, but our wholesale price is $12 a month. So why is CVS getting a $388 cushion every month when it should just be 12? Why is that poor individual that we've earmarked money as a state for not getting $388 of value because the system's not designed? Uh, adult diapers, the state of Kansas will pay $54. Uh, I get them for $0.07. Cents. So it should be you know, a, a much more cost-efficient system than it is but again, the system, the paperwork, the bureaucracy, the inefficiency just continues to, to lead in a snowballing direction that's the opposite of every other industry. Right. You know, going with what you're saying, and this is for our listeners out there, because I know I've kind of slammed on, on my medical care thus far. You have to be a good consumer. I had to make so many phone calls to all three different entities that are going to be a part of this surgery. Over five, actually, by the time I have my surgery, it'll be six weeks later, six or seven weeks. And I could have had surgery second week, third week, fourth week. I didn't because I'm wanting to be a, a good consumer. And I think sometimes people just delay, or excuse me, they rush into things. One, because of emotions or fear, and just because, you know, okay, this information is coming out of the doctor's mouth, I need to take this as the gold standard. Me, I'm in an industry within real estate that everything's negotiable. So mm -hmm. my wife is sitting right next to me. I treat everything in life as negotiable. Sure. And she, she's shaking her head like, yes, he does. He gets a lot of Starbucks for free. <laughs> um, and so what ended up happening is... It went from having to pay half up front to three different entities to now they're all like standard practice, just going to bill the insurance. And whoever bills first, that's who I'll owe, and the others will be covered by insurance, which is sure. how it should have been done to begin with. But it wouldn't have been that way 
unless if I would have fought for my individual healthcare right. And then here's the other thing I did, Josh. I said, great, I appreciate you giving me all your information, but I'm going to go somewhere else now because I'm not okay with this process. Guess what? I got a phone call from the doctor the next day. I mean, so yes, I think it's good for consumers to be smart and and looking out for themselves. I would argue they shouldn't have to. I agree. I mean, so I go to Amazon and they make it very clear. And I still have to be a good shopper because there's a, you know, problem with Amazon reviews being faked, but I can go in, I can see you know, who it is, what their price is, what the reviews are. They give you as much forward information as possible. And any company that's doing a really good job at customer service is doing that. And that's the problem with healthcare. You shouldn't have to work that hard. That's the problem Surgery Center of Oklahoma is fixing. That's the problem we're doing for our patients is yes, the, the superficial minimum value proposition that I could do is here's a prescription. It's the right medicine for the right diagnosis. I did you a, a good and accurate service. Go forth and be well. And you take that to each pharmacy. But the pharmacies don't make that easy uh, to go and shop and know. And that's going to take more time than you want to spend on this medicine because you don't know what your potential savings could be. Now, it could be hundreds of dollars or tens of dollars. So we can increase our, our chance for success by doing that for you, making so you don't have to be a good. Uh, we have transparent pricing, we obvious to the patients, and we know that we don't have to make money on this like other groups do, so we can always outcompete the other pharmacies. And if we don't, great. If they have it cheaper than we can buy it for, wonderful. We still saved you money. But now when I can show you that your medicine for the year is $3.65, but it was going to be $30 a month at the pharmacy, I just, you know, increased my value by $30 a month to to the patient to justify our $50 a month membership. So if we can take the extra necessary steps so the consumer doesn't have to, then we're more likely to be a successful business. But we can also get farther down that rabbit hole than the patient can. So the doctor who says, I don't feel like dispensing medicines because that seems like a hassle is going to be less successful than the doctor who does. And then you can take that to every moving piece of the medical system, uh, I can get the labs pre-negotiated cheaper you know, for you in advance at a better rate than the patient could do on their own because we have bulk volume. And I can do the same thing with imaging and pathology and specialty consults and procedures. And at the end of the day, that's what the consumer is paying to, to ensure that I get the $50 a month. I have to maximize this value. And that may be, you know, several hundred dollars when I get your MRI for 300 versus 3,000. And I think that's the idea of good consumer-obsessed businesses that healthcare is, is missing right now. You shouldn't have had to do all that stuff. You should have got it two days later and at the best price. So, Josh, you know, you just told us what Atlas is. And in our previous conversation, you're not the, the brainchild that started this. But you very quickly became the mouthpiece and essentially you're the one that became the voice in the start of this concierge medical movement. What is it like? Let me phrase this. Not only what is it like, but what does it take to start a movement? Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's hard to say who started this because uh, it goes back to concierge medicine starting in Seattle at 25000 per person per year. But uh, Christy Ford Chapin, a medical economic historian, wrote a book about how prepaid medical 
in the 20s and 30s was the default model, uh, very similar to what we're doing. Uh, but when we started in 2010, there was probably less than you know five, five or ten physicians doing a high-value membership model like this. Uh, and now we've helped six, seven hundred uh, doctors ourselves. There's probably eleven hundred doing this uh, on our maps, and uh, it, it's exciting. I think there's a great TED talk on how to start a movement. We were the uh, lone nut out there trying something new that no other physician thought would work. Uh, it just sounds too good to be true. And but they were experiencing that from a, a position of, of a whole lot less information. They weren't asking the right questions. They weren't trying to innovate. They weren't embracing business. Uh, and they didn't see the, the potential savings or the math that we had access to. But then the first follower is, or the first leader per the TED Talk is, is the per, next person to join the movement or the third person to join because that's what really makes a movement is other people saying, yes, that's a good idea. And yes, I will follow them. So I love that the, the true leader are the first couple followers. What we knew just to punch above our weight class, we had to create more value than anyone expected us to. We had, and that's true for the patients and for physicians, because we could tell physicians this is a great idea, but if we held that behind a paywall, they'd never get to that. Uh, physicians, in, in a lot of ways, are used to the evidence being kind of spoon-fed to them. If I want to go research uh, the latest article, it's available to me through PubMed, and I don't have to pay for it often, or some other society is presenting it to me, or the CME stuff that I'm already doing wants me to have that information. And, and that's how we make our decisions. So very true for the patients as well. We had to show them up front, here's a, a big list of the medicines we can uh, save you money on, and the labs, and here's the value. I, I like Toyota's uh, Ask Five Whys to find a problem. For marketing, I'd say it's the five ands. You know, we do unlimited home visits and no copays and telemedicine and free procedures, et cetera, so that we could paint a white brush. But for doctors, we had to say, well, we do all the free consulting and we'll help you with your legal and we'll help you with your website and we'll help you with the vendors. Because if left to their own devices, kind of like you being a good consumer, well, being a good new entrepreneur or business person, the docs could go out and create that all themselves. Um, we could have charged them for that, but all those were friction points in the development of a movement, and we wanted it to grow as fast as possible. So for us to get, you know, if you want to go f um, fast, go alone, you want to go far, go together, we had to, to create enough gravity around this idea of a new business model that it would attract doctors and patients and employers and ultimately even insurance companies by showing everybody how their incentives were aligned. That takes a, a lot of upfront work to build momentum, a lot of transparency that's leaving a lot of money on the table because until you can prove you're worth it, you're not worth it. You know, until this movement is two, three, four, five thousand doctors, I don't think we'll be able to charge for the consulting because it still feels like a new idea to the doctor that might be the first one in their town. Uh, doing this model. We couldn't charge insurance companies to learn this data because we want to work with them. And, and we had to go to painful links to cater them so that they would listen to the conversation. Now that they did, you know, thrilled and it's moving forward. But I think those are all the unwritten 
unknowable pieces when you're starting a movement is it's so much harder than it sounds, uh, right? You, it's not just push a, a rock down a hill and watch it gain speed. This is the grit of manually adding every person to this. And and there's a lot of people who didn't believe it worked. And so you got to plow through those to find the ones that do see the value and then support them. Uh, so it, it's it's a whole process. Do you know who Angela Duckworth is? She's the grit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you uh-huh. said grit. It made me think of her. I actually just did a podcast with her yesterday. Oh, that's awesome. So, no, she's fantastic. She, I love the grit aspect of that. She yeah. is, yeah. It, it, <laughs> she kind of turned the tables on me being a psychologist and started asking me questions. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I wasn't ready for this. This is really good. I love it. What are some of the challenges that you've faced and lessons that you've learned disrupting and reshaping an industry and growing in business all simultaneously? I think the best thing we've done is, is read. And I think I remember hearing that, you know, as a student at some point along the way, but didn't really appreciate it until either right at the end of residency or shortly after starting the business. Right. You don't have time to read while you're in residency or, or going to school. Yeah, you know, you're, it's just to pass the test or, you know, reading what the professor wrote. It's not reading to apply in an abstract way. Um, but the more we appreciate business, the, the the larger our Audible collection grew. You know, it's like, well, I can learn from, you know, uh, Buffett's quote, you know, learn from mistakes. They just don't have to be your mistakes. And um, I think between my partner, Doug, uh, Dr. Doug, the co-founder, we had a very objective sense of where we were going. And we stayed very true to that and then referenced all problems, you know, to that. Is this helping us advance the cause of more affordable care? Yes or no. Well, could we make money on that? Yeah, I think we could. But does it advance the cause? No. Okay, then we, we keep moving forward. Having a clear vision like that and a lot of educational material that ported it what was by far the best thing we did. I think the hardest thing is to avoid making mistakes. Finished a book recently, The Road Less Stupid. And I think, not saying we haven't made our own internal mistakes, but I think we've done a good job of not making the wrong mistakes in a big way, just learning mistakes. Because there's so many pieces to healthcare where everybody wants to come in and jump on the bandwagon or sell you something, or now you get a few hundred doctors under your belt, more of a hypothetical, but someone would love to get you on their diet plan. And then if you sold that to all their doctors, my God, you'd be you rich, but that's the short play, not the long play. And, and that's hard because I like new things. I hate diet stuff, but that's a side part. I'm easily distracted by the idea, the, the excitement, the joy, the entrepreneurship of the new thing that you could chase and potentially build and it's a baby. And so I used to think 50% of my ideas were good. Now I know it's much closer to 10% and the great people around me, it's their job to filter out the good from the bad. And having an amazing team around is, is what has made this so much more successful. Another great book, The Richest Man in Babylon. Yeah. Long story yeah. short. Yep. I, I just love it. Uh, the reference story I give is get diamond advice from a diamond guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's hard because you're doing a new thing. So if you ask a software company to build you something and all they do is healthcare, they're going to tell you how to do the new thing in the old way because that's their diamond advice. And you have to say, okay, 
I'm disconnecting from that, although probably good advice in the right setting, but our vision for success is different and, and we have to know what aligns with that. But then when you get good software guys, when you get good accountants, when you get good doctors, knowing when to accept great advice from the experts and, and when not to ask, you know, it's so tempting to ask a friend or a family member or someone else, well, what do you think about this? Well, if you've never run a lab company, then you don't have, you're not a diamond guy. You have no advice here. And I think that's watching a lot of the ebb and flow of companies that have tried to be in this space. I think that's what they've often done is either mission drift or unclear focus, or they got bad advice from someone who wasn't an expert in this space. We see that all the time for doctors. We do the consulting for free to help them, but every now and then they'll say, well, if it's free, it's not worth it. So they go and pay a consultant in a medical space and who's never done this before. And then they'll spend way too much money and the average consultant just wants to tell you what you want to hear. Oh, you're a great doctor. You're worth it. If they love you at $100 a month, they're going to you know, love you even more at $150 a month. And not a single one of those doctors has been successful because that's, that's not based on, on math, on business, on value, on markets, on anything else. It's based on ego and, uh, and getting doctors to understand that we're experts in this space and, and here's how to run a good business model. And no, I'm sorry, you won't make $6 million. And I, and my doc said, well, I want to make a million dollars. And I laughed. I said, yeah, me too. And he said, well, not the first year, <laughs> not the first 10 years. You know, this, this isn't the business to make a million dollars because you either have to charge more to your patients or see more patients. And both of those are at some point, you know, uh, a dwindling business model. It's not a virtuous business. Yes, you could hire 10 doctors, but that takes more time, yada, yada. There's so many moving pieces to a new model where you have to be an expert in the old and have a vision for the new and and not make a mistake. Uh, it's, it's really quite amazing. Awesome. All right. So I want to come up with my final three questions here for you that I ask every person. Throughout this process, what is the biggest lie or in self-talk that you currently have or you have had in the past? Um, I think the self-talk I try to avoid is, well, first, I think the lie is everybody wants to drink their own Kool-Aid, right? Especially as the, the, the founder or the figurehead or public is, look how great this is. And it's going to be so great. It's going to be over the moon. It's huge, right? Um, because you believe that. You want it to be true. You, there's always this temptation to say, you know, we're growing faster than we are. The numbers are better than they are. Or, you know, here's the rosiest version of what I think our growth is or will be. Um, and, and I think that gets more people into trouble than anything, just not being objective. Um, as an Atlas Shrugged, Ayn Rand fan, you know, I, I have a special place in my uh, mind for that model of being objective is referencing, is this, is this right or is this what we want to be right? Uh, and trying to follow that. I think that's probably the hardest lie you want to tell yourself like oh this is such a great idea is it though is it objectively a, a good idea or are you just trying to talk everyone into it um okay. and and uh then i think the other half of that is is the self-talk this is such a great thing that i built i'm i'm on the ship i might be you know guiding the ship but 
there are so many other moving pieces to this ship that I can't take credit for. Um, and you get all the attention for it. You get the interviews and, and the Senate hearings and stuff. But we we wouldn't be here without my co-founder. We wouldn't be here without my wife. We wouldn't be here without my patients. We wouldn't be here without the businesses that you know saw value in this years ago. We wouldn't be here without the, the brilliance of the team that we have, um, Intermotion, that does all of our software. Because I've shot them all kinds of ideas and they've they've shot them down. And that appropriately right if if i just paid them to take every idea and they took that money we would have run circles around ourselves there's a great uh article written by the founder of kiss metrics and his billion dollar mistake and they they got successful and they got a you know a good three four year lead out amongst the competition and then they drank their own kool-aid a bit and the founder yeah so i can't build it but i can sure destroy it i can crash the ship (laughs) um but i can't take credit for building the ship yeah, he got distracted with shiny new things in different directions and every month changed it. And so they eventually just whittled away at their own lead until they got surpassed and, and, and weren't even in the space. So the self-talk conversation is always how good is this? And, and at the same time, where are we in trouble? And that bipolar mentality, I think, breaks a lot of people. That is hard. You know, because on the bad days, you want to tell yourself it's as good as it, you know, you've got to boost yourself up. And on the good days, you've got to push yourself back down and remind yourself that, you know, okay, you know, 10% month over month growth this month is awesome. Then you start pulling out the calculator and running, oh, then it's going to be 10% month over month every month. You know, oh, we're going to be, this is fantastic. I I should, you know, pre-buy my yacht. Um, Yeah. And, and it's, it's never as good as it as you want it to be and never as bad as you think it's going to be. Um, and that's a very just mentally hard road to, to walk. What brings you peace? Cause it sounds like there's a lot of things that you're doing and it's easy to get stressed out. So in those moments, what do you do to center yourself? Work, uh, <laughs> which is probably the worst answer. Um, I think I, it I, is the worst answer I've gotten. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> So in med school, I, so I graduated at the top of my class in med school. Um, this is a better joke for TV, but uh, top of the bell curve, mm-hmm. uh, slightly to the left. So, so I didn't graduate at the top of my class. Uh, so at one point I was very down and I, I found a study like, well, what, what tactics do the best medical students use? And, and for stress relieving, the, the most successful medical students study. It's like shit. <laughs> and, and the worst doing medical students uh, in terms of stress management used humor. It's like, ah, crap. Um, <laughs> this is double whammy. Um, but uh, uh, I, I love working. I'm a workhorse. I enjoy it. I have a very supportive family who knows I like to work and, and, and keep me balanced. I go back and, and, and uh, I haven't always had a great work-life balance because when the kids are two, they don't know when you're home and when you're not. So it's easier to work extra um uh i think i i lean on the team um i i realize the this too will pass i i put myself into the busy work of of thinking about the you know if there is a problem how will we fix it objectively and um self-awareness yeah so it really is that self-soothing self-awareness um i think i do a good job of of dropping out of work mode if you know, I don't lose sleep at night. It's like, all right, I'll handle that in the morning. You know, this is 
don't just reach you your cud over and over. Right. Um, and that ability to just manage that stress management when it's really bad, I can, I can turn it off for a bit and, and then turn it back on later. Um, I think we our, our intentional goal of growing slower than we could. I, th- I think there's that idea to just keep throwing money at stuff, uh, grow as fast as you can, Silicon Valley, burn through your runway, hit, you know, take off velocity has, has hurt more companies than it's oh, yeah. helped. Yeah, yeah. I, have, I have a friend that almost lost her entire business because she grew too quick. Yeah. Yeah. So on the, go ahead. On those days where you're wanting to grow really quick and explode it, you just because I think that's that's the 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 Olympics, right? That's the the big trophy. You just want to say you're vested or you hit this growth or look how, how amazing our numbers are. But um you know, we I'd rather now uh, be the turtle and just slow and steady but not make any mistakes and it's, it's growing and just wait, wait for the movement to come to us because that gives us more time to prepare and think. Okay. What's the best decision you've ever made? Uh, hands down using our, our tech team. I mean, there's a whole lot of other, you know, decisions, you know, I love my partners and my family and, and the name and, 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 and the mission. But, um, I don't think we could do any of it without uh, uh, Intermotion, uh, Joe Morrow. He, uh, just one, having started and run or helped more businesses before us, uh, and two, just kind of being the opposite to my thought process, making me so. Hey, I think this would be a great update. Why? Why? Not? Like I've got to push it past uh, Joe and our top programmer Brian. Um, it's got to pass the Joe Brian test. And, and often most of my ideas don't. And I love that they're not yes men. That having people around that even though I'm paying them, aren't just telling me what I want to hear, telling me what I need to hear or, or challenging me. Uh, having a team like that around uh, has built a culture that you know, is ideal. I, I would I like to think we would have built it anyways, but they, they came to us with that. Okay. And, and I don't think we'd be a fraction of the success that we are without that. Man. Dr. Josh Umber, thank you so much for spending your time with us and not only just informing us about insurance and medical practices, but everything that you talked about today can be applied to almost any industry, how to disrupt an industry, how to provide better customer service and make yourself more valuable. Man, you guys are doing a great job. I appreciate everything that you guys are doing. And again, doctor, thank you so much for coming on our show. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Wonderful. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you would, I'd greatly appreciate you subscribing as well as rating and even leaving us an objective review. It helps us with our ratings and spreading the message of the whole person podcast. And now, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Take care and God bless. I created a free resource that I want to offer all of our listeners. You know, we have this ideal person of what we want ourselves to look like. And there's this gap between where we currently are and that dream identity that we've created. Well, in this resource, it shares ideas and components about 
how to not only bridge some of those gaps, but also how to be content and okay with who we are as we love ourselves in the process of change. If that interests you and you want that resource, check out thewholepersonpodcast.com. Again, that's thewholepersonpodcast.com for that free resource. And while you're there, just so you know, our friends at Anchor Marketing actually created our website that helps us market ourselves better and brand ourselves It also works with search engine optimization and other areas for digital marketing. So definitely check them out. We paid them to build our website and to help us do marketing, and we just really appreciate them. I figured as a business owner or entrepreneur, if that's something that you're looking for, you should definitely go check them out. I think their website is anchormarketingco.com. That's anchormarketingco.com.